0: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life. So glad you're here to listen in on a conversation, the conversation we have every week, focusing on all those things related to work and the rest of your life, your family, your community, our society, and then You, your private self, your mind, body, and spirit. I am your host, Stu Friedman. I founded Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and the Wharton Leadership Program about 30 years ago. And now I run a management consulting, coaching, and training company. It's called Total Leadership. And if you go to totalleadership.org, you can find out all about our services that help people and organizations create greater harmony and improve performance in all those different parts of our lives there's free book chapters articles videos tools for assessments and lots more there at totalleadership.org new episodes of our show premiere thursdays at 5 p.m eastern time here on siriusxm channel 132 and you can follow us on twitter at sxm business as well as me at Stu friedman well I'm really excited about our show today because we've got a researcher who is deep into learning about how working parents are dealing with these tumultuous times that we're living in, uh, particularly with respect to the pandemic, but the many other upheavals in our lives now. Uh, and all indications are that uh, working from home is going going to be a thing that it wasn't in the past, much more normal. Now and so, what does this mean for those mothers and fathers who need to not only continue employment or search for employment or shift their employment, uh, but also for most also handling childcare responsibilities and teaching uh, for for many of us? My guest today has been studying the impact of the pandemic on working parents. She's been out in the field talking to people and. How uh, managers, employers, working parents can thrive during these difficult times. I am delighted to welcome Dr. Dana Sumter to today's program. Dana is an associate professor of organization theory and management at Pepperdine University's Graziadio School of Business. Dana, welcome to Work in Life.
1: Hi, Stu. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here with you.
0: Well, it's great to be here. Let me tell listeners just a little bit more about you before we jump into the conversation. Dana's research employs a cross-cultural lens because she likes to travel. I think that's the reason
1: (laughs) Guilty. that lens
0: in understanding social behavior at work. She studies energy, mindfulness, power, work, family, enrichment, managerial systems, and work relationships. She's published in a number of professional journals, and in popular journals as well, including HR Magazine and The Atlantic. Dr. Sumter's research has received uh, grants uh, from places like the Center for Innovation Research and Cultural Intelligence and Leadership and other places as well. She's a co-founder of the Mindfulness at Work group of scholars and is a member of the Positive Relationships at Work group as well. Uh, She's done award-winning international management case studies focusing on women's expatriate human resource experience in Oman. Uh, And I gather she is also a a former, she is a former vice president of human resources at a major bank, a global bank. Maybe we'll get into thoughts about what global banks are doing these days as well. Uh, Dana, welcome. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Stu. I appreciate the explanation of some of the experiences that I've had that have led me to be very passionate about this topic of work-life balance, work-life integration. So happy to talk about those topics with you here.
0: Well, you and your your co-author, Mona Zahoor have been engaged in a study of working parents, primarily working mothers, right? Yes. Uh, During the pandemic, uh, can you give us just to get started here what you see as the the three or four big ideas of what you're learning, what you're finding from this research?
1: Sure. So yeah, we you know my co-author and I have both been very inspired to learn more about the experiences of working parents during this pandemic, in part because we saw, you know, the theoretical opportunity, right? That this is new territory in terms of how we can understand these issues and, and how people make decisions about their work and family choices in this crisis environment, but also because we ourselves were experiencing the challenges and navigating the different types of decision-making and just, again, the, the uncharted territory in how do we, handle juggling all of these balls in our lives how are we so
0: let me ask what is what's your family structure if i may ask sure you're, you're dealing with these issues yourself what what's what what's the setup in your life
1: yeah, I am married. Uh, my husband and I both work full time. He's in sales in the lumber industry, and I'm a professor. And we have two kids who are now four and six. They are, were three and five when the pandemic started. So, back in the spring, you know, back in March, when everyone kind of, when the pandemic was thrust upon us and There was the stay at home or shelter in place orders. You know, we had a a crazy rambunctious three year old. We had a kindergartner who suddenly we had to help distance learn. And we were both frantically trying to do our jobs every day. Uh, My teaching switched from being in the classroom to teaching online fully. Mm -hmm. And then also, of course, there's all the the household responsibilities, right? That no help with cleaning, no help with sitting or or any of that other help we used to rely upon. So all of those responsibilities were thrust on us kind of suddenly. So that was a, a very... I mean, it. I would almost call it a traumatic experience. And interestingly, you know, with one of my participants in the, from the study, we've spoken with 54 women now um, about their experiences during this pandemic. And when they relate what happened to them during March, I, I definitely feel that emotion, that trauma, almost the, like, what the, the vivid description of what each day was like in mid-March, how the weeks unfolded after that. So that was definitely a very impactful experience that I think a lot of working parents and especially working mothers are still grappling with.
0: So you decided to try to find out something about how this phenomenon was playing out for other people as well using your skills as a organization theorist.
1: Yes, exactly. All right, so, so
0: what have you and, and Mona found?
1: So we we have a we kind of have categorized our findings in a, from a few different perspectives. From the perspectives of how the working mothers ha- themselves have handled and made choices during this time, how their employers and managers have responded, and also in the household, you know, how these women have navigated and negotiated their relationships with their partners during this time, right? Of course, making those choices mm-hmm. of, of who does what, you know, who watches the baby, who gets to work and so on.
0: All right, let's start with the working moms then. What, what's been the, the main thing that you have observed about the impact of this radical shift in our lives um, for working moms?
1: Yeah, I, I, the biggest thing that jumps out is just the absolute burnout. That is sadly ex- being experienced. That there are all kinds of different forms of mental health crises that have come up. It seems, um, you know, stress, lack of sleep, lack of ability to concentrate and focus. You know, manifesting in physical symptoms or issues sometimes, um, and really the lack of ability to prioritize self care during this time. Right. I think that's always been an issue for working mothers in particular because you know you, we end up attending to everyone else's needs before our own. Uh, but this is a time when that's just become like on steroids, right? Because women have found that they tend to face the greater brunt of responsibilities for mm. the home, the household work that needs to be done, that maybe was, was handled by others. Um, many have faced intensification of their own jobs, and particularly those that shifted from being in an office or in a workplace to working virtually, many feel the need to very visibly demonstrate that that is working well that the flexible work arrangement that has that has come out is not reducing their ability to do their jobs. Maybe it's because they're worried about job security. Maybe it's because they want to continue with the flex work practices. But the net result of that means you know, they're helping with the kids in-house during the day, interspersing work when they can in chunks, then staying up later at night after the kids go to bed to work for a couple, few more hours, waking up early before the kids wake up so that they could get an hour or two of focused work time in. So all that has enabled them to be able to meet just the basic needs of everyone and everything involved. Mm-hmm. But what loses out is their well-being,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And it's a big question, I think, of the extent to which this is really sustainable.
0: Well, what you've observed, and again, this is talking to mothers, uh, but you're not the only one who's, who's made this observation that it seems to be worse for working moms than, than it is for working dads, the, these increased pressures. Uh, is that your conclusion from the study you've done so far?
1: You know, I didn't interview the dads, so I didn't get their perspective, (laughs) but I will say, I think, you know, from what I've heard from the moms, that definitely tends to be the case, right? That there's more of a, a picking up of the different responsibilities that happens for the moms compared to the dads. I mean, we know this anecdotally. Um, we also know this from, um, other research that's been done, right? So there have been, um, you know, even studies that come out. Um, from, you know, Bureau of Labor Statistics, from, from my field of organization and management, it's, it's been noted, right, for a long time that women tend to spend um, a greater proportion of, how, of daily hours on household work compared to dads. I think that the, the, general, um, the general finding is about four hours of, of household work every day. Um, that is unpaid, by the way, and that oftentimes is unrecognized.
0: That has certainly been true historically, despite the uh, interest that millennial men express in wanting to be in more egalitarian relationships. The evidence of how they actually spend their time is uh, consistent with the traditional model of greater attention to domestic organization by women than men, for sure. So is that is that being exacerbated now by this crisis? Is it pretty much as it was, just felt more intensely because of these additional pressures to demonstrate that you're really committed and available and able to continue work?
1: I think exacerbated is the perfect word to use to describe what we've found. That because there was this kind of, you know, many of the women that we spoke with talked positively about what their work and life arrangements were like before COVID. Because and by the way, we asked our participants to talk about their work and family choices before COVID and then mm-hmm. during COVID and then what they anticipate in the future, right? So we tried to get this kind of longitudinal perspective.
0: Yes, and, and- let me just note that we are going to in this, in this hour of conversation, get to what you see as the best practices from your research and how people are indeed thriving. Uh, or able to uh, get through this and where there are potential silver linings coming out of this with respect to changes in how individuals and systemically how we think about the relationship between work and family life. But please continue.
1: Right on. Yes, I'm glad we will get there. So, you know, the the biggest thing about um, comparing the past to the present, if you will, is that many women that we spoke with spoke positively about how they had their work and family arrangements before COVID. It's like they had put in all this work into crafting the balance that worked for them. And maybe that was negotiated some trade-offs with their partner, like, okay, I'm gonna drop the kids off in the morning. You pick them up every afternoon or you know something like that, right? So the point is the arrangements had been made, the scaffolding was in place and things were kind of churning along. Then COVID hit and mm-hmm. everything was disrupted. Everything changed. And what happens in those types of crisis moments you know this from research on crisis in organizations right that that you tend to kind of default right we 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 go back we regress we default back to what we know back to what is easiest we regress back to our stereotypes so kind of some of the typical assumptions about who takes care of the kids versus who gets to work mm-hmm. that can creep into this as well so what we saw as a result of this is that women did, the moms did tend to take on more of the childcare responsibilities, more of the household responsibilities, some of which had been outsourced, some of which had been perhaps balanced with their their husbands or, or male partners beforehand. But in this moment of crisis, everything is up for grabs. And so things changed very suddenly. People were going through trauma and stress. You know, everyone had to suddenly become, you know, household epidemiologist experts, which none of us, not many of us, had that expertise before. But we're having to learn information on a daily basis for how to make decisions to keep our family safe and healthy. So the stakes are really high for all this. Mm -hmm. So pause there
0: for a moment. I want to remind listeners: this is work and life on Business Radio, Sirius XM Channel One Thirty Two. I am your host, Stu Friedman. My guest is Dr. Dana Sumter, who is an associate professor of organization theory and management at Pepperdine University's Graziadio School of Business. We're talking about her research on working mothers in pandemic times. Please continue. You were saying, Dana, about what the, the, the impact of the crisis on exacerbating the, the tensions, uh, let me say, that are inherent in... Interdependent life in the domestic organization as to who does what
1: yes, exactly, and you know in in reading the the transcripts of the interviews with our participants and the notes we have from those discussions, you know one of the the categories that I was using to code the data is called whose job wins <laughs> because Oftentimes, right, uh, because of the intensification of the household responsibilities that not every in every single case, but in the, ma- the vast majority of cases, the women tended to take more of that, that role. Mm-hmm. Um, that means they had less time for their jobs. And so many of the descriptions we heard were, you know, how to approach everyone's daily schedule in the household. So, you know, mom and dad would, would talk in the morning of, okay, I have a meeting at this time. You've got to take the kids then. Okay. I've got to be on zoom. Then let's, let's, you know, let's do lunch together. And so it's like these, this daily kind of, um, you know, triage of how do we attend to the basic needs of our jobs? Um, oh, and by the way, take care of the kids who have needs all day long as well. So, Mm -hmm. The, the vast majority of our participants, the mom's job uh, suffered. Right? That's I think an appropriate word their to job you.
0: outside the home.
1: Yes, right. Their 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 work. Right. Their mm-hmm. work suffered. They either had to reduce hours or the quality of their attention and focus in doing their jobs oftentimes was impaired. Because now, was that
0: different depending on whether or not they were the primary income earner or they made more money than their male partner? Was, was yeah. That? Was there a power uh, dynamic at play there in terms of who got to choose whose job wins?
1: Yeah, great question. So there were actually a lot of different factors that played into these decisions that we were able to unpack. So definitely that, right? Whose job made more money played a role in deciding who gets to work, who has to watch the kids.
0: So if mom made more money, she was less likely to take on additional domestic responsibilities?
1: sometimes but not necessarily always and that's because the needs of the job and or the demands of the manager coworkers clients played a role as well meaning i'll give one example right there was one couple where the husband worked in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. The wife worked, she was a vice president in a retail organization. And his job really went down, right? Because entertainment wasn't doing much when COVID struck, right? Couldn't film, couldn't do So, so he had a lot more time on his hands. Her mm-hmm. job completely intensified because retail was, was going right. nuts. And um, they ended up going through rounds and rounds of layoffs. And, and so she was on calls all day long, 10 to 12 hours a day. So he, he took up, he picked up the kid work, right? He helped take care of the house, he took care of the kids. They both had full time jobs. He was still doing his job when he could, but his job was so much less demanding because of how the, how the COVID shaped his industry that he ended up picking up that work. So that's one example that kind of breaks the mold of those stereotypes.
0: So it's not just about who's making more money, but whose whose role demands are greater in terms of the uh, work pressures. Exactly.
1: Exactly. As, as
0: that as that example illustrates. So 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 the daily triage, I think that's a, a really interesting word you use to describe how we're going to get through this day. Uh, is is a common method of how people are responding and is is that accurate, and is it still true?
1: Yeah, I, I think that for many people that was an approach that helps to at least get through the day day by day. Mm-hmm. for those of us, and I 'll include myself in those categories, for those of us that like to plan and schedule a little bit more in advance of just twenty four hours, um, maybe there could be uh, more longer term scheduling as another example, um, one couple that were both that were both working. Um, the Mom picked up you know had control and, and and took care of the kids from eight to eleven every morning, and then the Dad would take care of the kids from noon to three, so at least during those few hours every day they could get some dedicated work time and they tried to schedule their calls and their things during those hours, so they at least knew every day and their coworkers knew also like hey so and so will be available between noon and three let's schedule that group meeting during that time and so on so you know that's another typical schedule that's a little bit more long standing than just day to day right but for some people their jobs can't accommodate that right maybe they don't have control over when they can schedule meetings or when they need to do their work Mm -hmm. um or maybe you know the needs of the kids are different maybe there's an infant who needs nursing and so mom needs to be available interspersed throughout the day or maybe there's school-age kids that you know, the, the dad is just more appropriate or helpful in being able to help them with their distance learning. So he ends up taking more of the homeschooling responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So, again, lots of different factors that play into this role. But one of the big patterns that I think is important to call out is that those that seem to be more successful and maybe not happy, but at least, you know, had some semblance of well being during this time had a plan and were being proactive in developing and managing and executing that plan. As opposed to being reactive, mm-hmm. right? So some of the some of the folks who I think were were really in bad in bad situations in terms of being able to perform in their job, and also in terms of their well being is when they didn't have control over their work schedule or their work availability, when they weren't able to communicate effectively with their partner on how to divvy up the responsibilities, Mm -hmm. um, when they had kids who had different types of needs or newfound needs that emerged because of the crisis, Mm -hmm. uh, when they had unpredictability of childcare availability as childcare sites started to open up, sometimes they would open up and then shut down, Mm -hmm. Um, and when they had unpredictability of their ability, their availability to work flexibly. Meaning if they had an had one participant who said that their employer was telling them only one week in advance, if they were going to need to come back to the office or not. Mm. So, you know, that any type of um, unpredictability, uncertainty, that just tends to lead to more chaos. So, you know, point of advice is to the extent that you can make plans, maybe they'll fall through, but at least having a plan and having some kind of schedule in place can allow you to have that space to be able to work more effectively and take care of your well-being when you're able to.
0: So I I know that listeners are keen to discover more of what you found about what is working. So let's stay on this. Uh, what else have you found in your research that you would describe as good practice or best practice in terms of how to cope with the uh, crisis that is ongoing?
1: Sure, sure.
0: The, the changes in our lives uh, wrought by not only the pandemic, but all the upheaval surrounding us in the climate as well as in the political environment.
1: Definitely. And as you mentioned, Stu, I mean, it's I keep talking about COVID, but of course, it's not just COVID, right? It's not just the pandemic that we're dealing with. It's the economic downturn and the prospective economic uncertainty we see ahead of us. It's the, the reckoning of racial injustice in in the United States that we've been facing as a country and, and for our culture. Um, the women of color in my sample, you know, and, and many other women who were not women of color also spoke to this and how it's impacted them personally, their families, their organizations, their jobs. And so there are many, you know, it, we're, we're in like the perfect storm right now of a yes. lot of different tumultuous events.
0: So what, what works? Yeah to help to cope with the, these tumultuous times? What have you found?
1: Number one is prioritizing self-care. It's one of the hardest things to do when you've got a list of to-dos, when you've got an, you know this, this array of different responsibilities you need to attend to for your job, for your household, for your children, but we really need to take care of ourselves. So I think that one successful practice that I've observed is actually scheduling it and treating it like a meeting that you cannot change, right? So scheduling a workout, uh, a nap, letting yourself sleep in, um, you know, meditation, mindfulness practices.
0: I would say multiple naps during the day.
1: That'd be nice, right? Yeah. That, like <laughs> that's one of my
0: coping strategies, but I'm a 68 year old man that has a lot of freedom and all kinds of privilege that uh, I, I don't want to speak too much further about because I'll start to get hate mail, but <laughs> yeah, napping is key. Sleep matters a ton. We've, we've talked a lot about that on this show. Oh, um, good. So I'm glad Making self-care a priority for, for working moms is by far number one. How, and of course, what that means is different for every, every person in terms of you know, how they care for themselves and restore and rejuvenate themselves and give themselves you know, the, the strength, the, the power to be resilient in these times of great stress. How then do you see people overcoming the guilt that, that accompanies that prioritization?
1: Totally. And that that is a great word to bring up because the mom guilt definitely ran rampant in my sample with my sure. participants. There is lots of guilt. And, and what's, so, what's so troubling about this is, you know, we have these expectations of, of perfection. We have these expectations of being the perfect mom, being the perfect employee, and no one can meet all those expectations. Those expectations very well may have been unattainable before this year. And, you know, with all the crises that we're dealing with now, they're especially unattainable. So I I like to think about the word expectations a lot with this situation because You know, that's something that we have control over to some extent, at least, right? We can manage the expectations that we have of ourselves in terms of how we're doing at being a mom, how we're doing in our job. And obviously, there's partnership that happens with those expectations with your partner, with your kids, um, with your manager or supervisor or coworkers in terms of your work role. But the point is, you know, you can at least manage how you have them for yourself. There were multiple examples of women who talked about. Um, overworking is, is a term I'll use, like, you know, kind of making sure that you're very visibly working, especially while telecommuting and going above and beyond and really wanting to prove themselves and that they were still just as capable and committed to their jobs during this time. And when I asked probing questions about like, well, where is this coming from? Right. Is this your, your manager is pressuring you? Or are you getting bad feedback? Right? Almost always it was, well, no, it's not really external. It's it's pressure I have on myself. It's the expectations I have for myself. So I think that all working parents, you know, it would behoove us all to really kind of sit and take stock and think about what our expectations are for ourselves and that we have every right to reduce those expectations during this time period, given everything that's going on, right? Mm -hmm. We very well may not be able to perform at the same level as we did this time last year, and that's okay right? This this seems like it's lasting forever. It's not going to last forever. At some point there will be light at the end of the tunnel and you can so, go back to that.
0: We're going to have to take a break here, but you're saying that Working moms should start to be slackers. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well,
1: I think there's a spectrum, right? I don't think we should go to the complete slacker end of the spectrum, but maybe nudging a little bit in that direction I, I to understand. give us a sustainability to keep going forward. <laughs> it's
0: not funny and I'm being facetious here. What I, uh, but I do want when we come back from our break to talk about how, how you deal with the difficulty of reconciling a need to perform well uh, and to take care of yourself. Is there a way to, thread that needle Uh, we will take that up and and also what employers and and spouses together can be doing when we come back uh to our conversation with dr dana sumter i'm Stu friedman this is work and life on business radio sirius xm 132 stay with us we'll be right back you're listening to work and life on business radio welcome back to work and life. I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and my guest today is Dr. Dana Sumter. She's an associate professor of organization theory and management at Pepperdine University's Graziadio School of Business, and she's done a study just now on uh, how the pandemic is affecting working mothers. I am glad you're listening, and I want to continue the conversation with, with Dana Sumter. Um, let's, let's talk more about what it takes to overcome uh, the hurdles to prioritizing self-care and then, and then get into how that um, fits in the family life, in the life of the family every day, and how uh, partners in parenting can support each other's needs to restore and rejuvenate, uh, to be able to deal with all the stresses and strains of life today. Uh, What else holds working mothers back from being able to um, maintain themselves?
1: Yes, you know, one of the things that we noticed was that, again, kind of getting to the point of that, we had these routines and this this arrangement in place before COVID and then COVID turned everything on its head and and changed Mm -hmm. everything seemingly overnight. So one opportunity I think is to think about ways that we can engage in self-care that we may not have thought of before or that we may not have been able to take advantage of before given that our typical outlets may not be there available to us anymore you know, if I remember one participant who talked about how she used to rely on a, you know, three times a week morning yoga practice, right? And that was her source of restoration and replenishment. Um, and then that went away, right? Because the studios closed. And so we talked about how she, for a period of weeks, wasn't able to really do anything because she was so busy with taking care of her young kids and trying to do her job. But then at some point she realized I'm burning out." I, I, feel awful. I'm snapping at everyone around me. I need to make a change. So she started doing yoga on her own, did videos. um, And so was able to get that kind of replenishment back in her life a little bit. So they, Hmm. you know, the point is that we can't rely on the structures and the opportunities that we had before they may not be available to us. So Hmm. how can we reinsert that into our lives, into our daily schedules in some way? And, you know, we tend to be creatures of habit and creatures of routine. And so making it a routine can be helpful to make sure that it's prioritized in our daily schedules. So rather than just kind of reacting to the the, the needs of the day and fighting fires all day long in terms of attending to kids, giving them the endless snacks that they need to stay happy, um, you know, attending to work meetings as they spring up, you know, trying to make sure that. Embedding it, embedded in your routine, is some opportunity for self care. Whatever that looks like for you, right? That's different for all of us. Maybe it is yoga or some kind of physical workout. Maybe it's just a walk outside. Um, maybe it's calling a friend or a loved one and having a conversation. You know, there are all kinds of things that can be very life giving to us and that can help mm-hmm. to reduce our stress. So there's no one perfect answer, but it's really thinking about what are the de-stressing activities that work for you mm-hmm. and how can you make sure they're embedded in your day in a systematic way so that they do not get deprioritized as the hustle and the bustle of the day moves on.
0: Before we move on to how uh, partners in parenting, which is how I like to refer to people <laughs> raising children together, uh, <clears throat> how how they are responding and what they can be doing to, to provide mutual support. Uh, what else beyond prioritizing self-care have you found is important for working mothers at this time?
1: Yeah, I think that that interface with a partner is is so important. And we tend to lose sight, first of all, of those relationships during this time. So that's the first piece of advice that comes to mind is don't forget about the marriage or the relationship, whatever, whatever it may look like, um, but to prioritize that you have some time to devote to your significant other because that even maybe deprioritize more than self-care is that <laughs> when you've got kids and jobs and everything coming at you. So I think nurturing that relationship can be helpful to setting up the negotiating and the, the discussion that needs to happen about who does what and how do we manage the the balance of our household responsibilities so yeah,
0: there's got to be a sense of uh, a shared responsibility and path that you're walking together hand in hand right before you yes. can before you can really start to um, be creative in how to give to each other what what both need, what both partners need.
1: Right. And Can you and agree? F- speaking of that word path, that's another really interesting thing that we found as well. That yeah. we observe this, what I'll call path dependency of who does what around the house and with mm-hmm. the kids. Meaning what we tend to do in the past tends to kind of linger and we we tend to make assumptions about that based on how we've arranged things in the past. So in some kind of disturbing examples, you know, we saw how, you know, mom and dad had an arrangement before COVID, then COVID struck, kids were out of school, weren't in daycare anymore, and mom's job really intensified. Maybe mom had to be on Zoom for many more hours during the day, maybe the nature of the work changed and exploded, maybe their industry was going nuts, right? And dad's job did not intensify, but yet she had the same level of household responsibilities as before. And there wasn't room to change, so mom ended up getting incredibly burnt out because she's doing lots more, you know, lots more work compared to before. Um, but there wasn't a discussion about, hey, let's change things up a little bit. Let's let's uh, re-look, Let's look at this. Let's maybe rewrite some of the. Why not?
0: why, why didn't that, that discussion take place when it would seem so obvious to have it?
1: Right, right. I mean, one would think. So I think there are a couple different things. One is that there obviously is, you know, the stereotype that we referred to before in terms of who is responsible for the kids, right? What is the default, especially in a time of crisis? And I think that's not only a default assumption that may exist between the adults, but also for the kids, who do they want during a time of stress? Mm-hmm. You know, who do they come to when they're feeling anxious and uneasy as we all were feeling during those early months and are still feeling for many of us. So, you know, when kids are coming to mom saying, I need you, I want you, and mom is trying to get work done, what's going to happen, right? I mean, I'm going to take care of my kid. Like, that's just, that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of those, those little pieces of, head of the gender roles, the parenting roles, um, resulted in the mom being able to spend less time on her job. And so so that wasn't-
0: Well, please continue.
1: Yeah, and so I I think that that was a part of why there wasn't necessarily an explicit discussion in all couples about, Mm -hmm. hey, let's relook at who does what around here. But another part of it, too, is that who has the time? <laughs> like, right. I think that so many so many of us, we're so busy doing. We're so busy reacting and just taking care of the needs of the day. Right. We didn't even have the time or the mental energy to have this probably not super pleasant discussion with our partner. Not about, super hey, honey, pleasant. Not I need you to do pleasant. more.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. So that that becomes a difficult conversation if the framing is, I need more from you. Uh, I need to do less around yes. here. Um, that that would seem to be a recipe for a conversation that's probably going to end in strife, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I so, think that the framing is crucial.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's t- I, who has time? Who has time to do uh, what you might think of as strategic planning? Right. Uh, Exactly. Which, which of course, you know, businesses have understood uh, for a long time and certain families have. What have you observed, if anything, about how uh, working mothers and fathers can find a way into those conversations that leads to better mutual understanding and support?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm far from a licensed marriage and family therapist. So just to put that caveat out there.
0: Okay. Understood.
1: (laughs) But what I can say is that there were some approaches that seemed to be more helpful. And one is exactly as you said, Sue, right? The framing, like be very aware of how you're framing the discussion. So you're not coming at your partner with with this this list of things you want them to do. Um, But it's more starting the dialogue, coming from a place of we both have some shared goals. Right, we both agree that we want to have a, a safe and healthy household. We both want our kids to, to do well and thrive, and we both want to do our jobs and, and, and meet expectations with our work roles. So we both agree, we all agree there, right? We're on the same page. So starting off from that platform of those shared goals, here's what I've been noticing. Right? Here are some things that haven't worked for me. Here are some you know physical or emotional manifestations of stress or burnout that I've experienced. Here are some things at work that I've dropped that I've not met expectations on. And so we've got a a problem. So let's talk about how we can address that, right? And so approaching it from a perspective of partnership, we're going to work together. We both have needs that need to be met. And how can we help each other meet those needs in a better way going forward? So I think how you frame the conversation is important when you choose to have the conversation is important, right? So maybe not at the end of a long day when things didn't go so well, but maybe at a time if you're able to have some space to have a, a conversation with just the two of you without interruptions, whenever that, that you know, unicorn time may be, um, that would be the right kind of timing to have. So you can be in a good mental place to really engage in those what can be very thorny um, topics of who does what. Um, so it's not coming from a point of contention, but more a point of let's arrive at consensus on a new plan going forward.
0: What else have you found about what um, parenting partnerships can do to, um, to build the, the strength and resilience that's needed uh, in, these, in these times of rapid change and terrible uncertainty?
1: Yeah, I, I think another important point that's come out is being able to voice and express our, our needs and what we're going through because, you know, and every, every relationship is different, right. In terms of how much communication there is, but we, we did note some participants that were in really enduring different kinds of suffering, but they weren't comfortable voicing that to their partners or to their bosses or coworkers.
0: Can you give an example of that?
1: Yeah. that, that One participant comes to mind who was really fearful that she was uh, becoming depressed And it was unfamiliar to her. She had never faced depression before. She didn't even have postpartum depression after having her kids, but she was noting things like, you know, physical manifestations, like insomnia, um, headaches. And she was also not performing as well at work. Um, She was snapping at her kids a lot. And she felt like she had this kind of heavy, dark cloud and was couldn't Mm. find joy throughout the day, especially in ways she had found joy before. So, I mean, gosh, I, I was alarmed just listening to her describe it. My heart was just breaking for her. And I asked her about what, what she's done or what she plans to do about it. And she said she felt shameful. Like she, she was ashamed to admit that she needed help because that wasn't in her nature, right? It, it, it was not a part of her character or her identity as someone who needed help or who suffered from depression, saw it as kind of a form of weakness. Hmm. So she didn't share it with her coworkers. She didn't share it with her husband. She was just kind of experiencing it and trying her best to just plow ahead and keep going. So I think situations like that you know, we all, we, all of us working parents need to recognize we all need help. <laughs> and maybe we're not the type of people who like to admit it, but we all can be on the same page and admitting it these days. And there is no shame in that game. There is no shame in admitting that you need help, that you're facing some personal challenges. And it's just a matter of how we can effectively communicate that to others who need to know. So I would include partners in that category and also any coworkers, clients, managers, organizational leaders that you're interfacing with. Because again, this is a situation where gender plays a big role, right? That we know from, from, you hang, from-
0: hang on let me just jump in here one second and remind listeners this is work and life on business radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. I'm speaking with Dr. Dana Sumter about her research on how working mothers are Responding to the crazily scary and uncertain times that we're in, and, and the things that they can do in their families, in their relationships, and in their organizations to to find a way through it. Um, so, Dana, you were just saying that uh, you know there are ways of of bringing the needs for help into into your social world that that uh, that are possible, even if you're not accustomed to. Uh, being someone who has asked for help or feels a sense of uh, shame for, for, for feeling that need. Please continue.
1: Yes, yes. And, and a reason why gender plays an important role in that experience is because of the stigma and the stereotypes associated with working mothers compared to working fathers, right? I mean, we know that practically working mothers experience some negative um, work-based the discrimination, right, in terms of the pay gap, in terms of being more likely to receive negative feedback and so on. So there's this motherhood penalty and this fatherhood bonus that's been established. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, we can, we working mothers can be less likely to acknowledge that we're facing some kind of challenge or, you know, less likely to admit that we need help or we need a change or we're not able to perform at our jobs. I mean, many of us would rather jump through all the hoops and bend over backwards to overperform, even though it's killing us in the meantime, because we don't want to admit that we are, you know, we're the working mom who isn't able to handle it. So mm. dads don't face this pressure as much. This is not a blanket statement, of course, there are always exceptions, no. but dads tend not to face that pressure, right? When the kid jumps on dad's lap during a Zoom call, ha, oh, that's isn't so that cute. cute? <laughs> But when the kids jump on the mom's lap during the Zoom call, there's that stereotype that's fulfilled in that moment. And so she is more likely to be perceived as less competent as a result. Mm -hmm. And that has really important implications for her career opportunities. So we know this, right? We working women know this. We know that that stereotype exists. We're constantly trying to, to challenge against it and counteract it.
0: So what do you advise based on what you observed in your your research about how to overcome the sense of stigma and shame in asking for help and adjustments?
1: Yeah, it's very tricky because it depends a lot on your work environment, on the Mm -hmm. industry that you're in, on the type of support your organization and your manager has for working parents um, and what some of the prevalent existing stereotypes may be within your, your work unit, because that differs a lot, right? I think ideally, it would be great if we could all you know agree to flip the stereotype and fully integrate our work lives with our home lives and be bold and shameless about it. that would be great right and I think some women can do that, and some women have done that. But for many, if they're in industries that are not as family friendly where that stereotype is rampant, where there's more of a masculinized um, approach to work and work culture, they may face negative career implications if they do choose to integrate their, their family life into their work very brazenly. So I think I would advise women to be cautious, right, in terms of just reading the landscape before they, you know, kind of more fully embrace that type of that type of work experience. Um, but also that means, you know, one of the really interesting things that came out of this study is that many working women are using this time as an opportunity to reflect on where they are in their career and think about making a change. Mm. For those that have, you know, it's like this period of reevaluation, of reflection, of really thinking about this is a pivot in my career, right? This is a pivot point. And so am I going to keep doing what I'm doing? Am I going to make a change? Am I going to change employers? Um, That there's this real kind of reevaluation that's happening. And so what this means is for employers and managers, if you are not family friendly, if you, are, if you are fostering this work environment where employees are expected to be on call 24-7 or they're expected to have complete availability at any time and interruptions with kids or needing to take breaks to feed a kid lunch or something like that, that's just not tolerated, that's something that's not talked about, there very well may be implications for maintaining that type of culture. Because the working moms who have had to fly in the face of those stereotypes may make a change at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, and people may say like, oh, there's really high unemployment, that's economic downturn and so on. That's all true. But let's not forget, there are a lot of winners and losers in terms of industries right now. right? Certain industries are facing absolute upheavals and disruptions and are really not going to do well in the upcoming, in the near future. But other industries are clear winners and are thriving and are you know seeing record, right. you know, so, seeing record years. So
0: being able to become more uh, accommodating and humane in responding to the demands uh, that parents are facing, mothers in particular, is a, is a smart employment strategy, especially if you're in an industry where there is going to continue to be a, a need for uh talented people and and perhaps a shortage despite the fact that we are experiencing record unemployment you know in many many de- different sectors um in the few minutes that we have left there, there's so much more i want to ask you about but one question uh that i know listeners uh many listeners will be interested in is what uh what's the best thing that uh, a working father can do uh, if they're in a relationship with a working mother Uh, And they're raising their kids together, whether or not they live in the same house or whether they're separated, however they're doing that. Uh, What have you discovered about um, best practices for working fathers?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I've been very inspired by some of the stories shared of working fathers who absolutely you know, fully committed to supporting their partner, to letting their needs be known, to acknowledging that this crisis is affecting people in different ways. And so, um, you know, I had many participants say like, you know, our, our family roles were 50-50 beforehand and they still are now. We've adjusted things, but I still feel good about the equilibrium we're able to maintain in terms of family responsibilities. Um, but others, not so much, right? <laughs> so I think the best advice for working fathers would be first of all to Prioritize your self care as well. Let's not forget that is still important for all of us, whether father, mother, or otherwise. Um, and second, to pay attention to how your partner is doing. Meaning, sometimes we're not really good at recognizing for ourselves if we're burnt out, but it may manifest in other ways, like you know being you know snapping a lot <laughs> or being short tempered or physically experiencing some symptoms. So I know I personally, during this time period, I've been experiencing some like jaw soreness. I guess I've been clenching my jaw and not noticing it. And Mm -hmm. my husband actually noticed that I was rubbing my jaw and commented on it. And we had a talk about how I could, you know, take baths more often, go for runs more often and so on. So, you know, he helped me to realize I needed to prioritize self-care a little bit more. So I think that recognition, that awareness of how your partner is doing and then being willing to make a change, right? So not just resorting back to the default, not just you know, following the path as it's been, meaning you know, doing things as they've always been done, but being willing to update the breakdown of who does what around the house, of whose job gets to have some time and space and focus, um, this is especially important, you know, this fall as kids, school-aged kids are back in school, maybe they're distance learning at home. So who's the one who's, which parent is on call for, mom, I need help, my Zoom froze, and those types of things that come up, right? Um, that it shouldn't always be one parent, that mm-hmm. to the extent that you can try to balance the responsibilities and take turns so that in this game of, of child hot potato that we're playing, you know, who who, who has control, who has responsibility of the kids, Um, that there's fairness and equity. So I think being willing to have an explicit discussion about it, being willing to make changes, and then maybe looking forward, setting a point in time where you're going to reevaluate. Because as time goes by, again, we just kind of keep plowing ahead. And maybe we're not reevaluating the extent to which things are working or not. Or maybe we need to make another change. So maybe, you know, two weeks from now, we're going to schedule a lunch or a walk or some kind of, you know, time that we can have together where we're going to reevaluate how things have been going. Um, maybe it's a month from now, but whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. scheduling that time can be a helpful instrument to make sure that that conversation happens.
0: All right. Last thing I'll ask you about before we have to wrap up, you, you've noted some silver linings. What's, what's the one that sticks in your brain, uh, in your heart, most, uh, most prominently as you've, <laughs> as you've, uh, in discovering how working mothers are experiencing uh, this difficult time. There are some silver linings. Tell us one.
1: Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned at the beginning, a part of my background is that I'm a cross-cultural management scholar. And an interesting aspect of American culture is our good old Protestant work ethic that we love working, right? We love working, be productive. There's nobility in that. That's something that we really value and admire. So what can come from that, though, is that we tend to overwork, we tend to work to the point of stress and burnout. And so a really cool feature of this time of COVID has been the opportunity for many to pause, right? (laughs) To pause. And even though we're still working in our jobs, we've been able to reduce some of the other obligations of our lives like practices and hobbies and sports teams and traveling and a lot of things that used to eat up our our non-work time. So one cool example I'll share is that there was a, a mom who had three school-age kids who before covid they were all in different sports and activities and she talked about how much of her non-work time was spent driving them back and forth to things and that they never really had any time as a family together. But then once covid hit and they were all home She's like, we realized we really enjoyed spending time together at home, which we had mm-hmm. never done before, because it was very rare that all of us were mm-hmm. actually in the house at the same time. So I think the valuing of family time, of time just spent doing nothing and just being, that's something we Americans are really bad at. <laughs> but we could experience a lot of restoration if we did engage in just a little bit more of that in our daily lives. So that's. that's yes. That's well, that's
0: I'm a happy. fitting note for us to close on uh, to just be is something that we can do more of. Yeah, um, yeah. Thank you so much, Dana, for joining me on the show today. Uh, what's the best place for listeners to learn more about the work that you're doing?
1: Yeah, say, well, we, we are churning out publications as we speak. Um, nothing that I could, uh, not a citation I could give yet. We've had a little sh- a shout out in the Atlantic about it, but um, emailing me at dana dana.sumter at pepperdine.edu um, and I'm going to be creating a, 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 where we're going to be hosting some of the information about the study or following me on Twitter. I put um, updates on there as well. Um, But yes, emailing and Twitter would be the
0: best ways. Dana, thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Stu. Pleasure to be here.
0: And thank you for listening. Tune in next week, 5 p.m. Eastern. That's when we air our shows. Thanks, Patty Hall, for producing. Dion Simpkins, our engineer. I'm Stu Friedman. You've been listening to Work and Life on Business Radio Powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132.